If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 699. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And purchase one or 20 of my courses there. You keep this podcast free of charge, and you get great content. There's also exciting things coming up at McClanahan Academy in the new year. So be on the lookout for that. If you're on the email list, of course, and you sign up at McClanahan Academy free, you're going to be on that email list too. And I'm going to let you know about those things. You're going to want this stuff, all right? So keep that in mind. Also... You can support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. If you're watching on YouTube, click on a little heart under the video, the super thanks button. You can throw a few pennies my way that way or go to anchor.fm. Subscribe there. Another great way to support the show. And of course, you can buy my logo and all kinds of cool stuff by clicking on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. But all those things, right, help support the show financially. But another great way to support the show is to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review, comment. Wherever you can comment, like on YouTube, it helps the algorithm. And send me those show requests. I do appreciate reading what you want to hear. I may not respond, but I do like to read it. All right. So I'm going to talk about a topic, again, going back to to Biden and uh, the 2022 or maybe 2024 election. These are things I like to do and make predictions at times. But there's a piece in in the Washington Post by David Brooks about the 2024 election and the possibility that neither Trump nor Biden will be the nominee. Or if they are, and Americans don't really like either choice, what other choices do they have? That's why I want to focus on this particular piece, because Brooks is essentially outlining a third-party candidacy for something, right? For an establishment candidate, someone like, I don't know, Ulysses asks Abraham Cheney. Now, I know that uh, the uh, Brooks is not really on board with someone like Cheney running. I mean, he wouldn't support uh, Ulysses S. Abraham Cheney, Elizabeth Cheney anyways. But the fact is, uh, there is some speculation that the uh, MAGA Republicans, right, are, uh, are not going to be happy with anyone but someone like, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis or someone in that mold. And so <clears throat> they wouldn't support a Mitt Romney or a Liz, uh, Liz Cheney, or someone like that. They're going to want to go to the right. And I think this is actually beneficial for the Republican Party. When they run to the right, you know what happens? They generally win if they have a polished candidate. We're looking around, and I talked about this last week, you've got a whole bunch of dopes running in these United States Senate seats. Uh, and of course, you know, even in some of the House seats, you've got some pretty bad candidates. So the fact is, candidates matter. Who is on your ticket matters. The Democrats are always going to be a pretty unified block. But what if the left, and we saw this with Susan Sarandon, what if the left doesn't really like Joe Biden? What if he's too centrist? And I mentioned in the speech that he gave 
at Independence Hall, the Pennsylvania State House, that uh, Joe Biden's speech would have been applauded by any neoconservative had a Republican made it. I mean, look, some of the substance of the speech was the exact same thing Donald Trump had said when Trump was running. Right, we're going to be made in America. We're going to create American jobs. We're going to have this. We're going to we're going to you know make sure our economy is closed in. Now, some of the other things, the the culture war stuff, Trump would not have said. But there's not much difference between Biden and Trump when it comes to. Uh, how they view factory work. Now, we know the Democrats and the Republicans, neither one is really interested in that. The, the establishment party is not interested in, uh, in America first. Neither. So they're gonna, the bureaucracy is going to do all they can to block any of that stuff. But we know that uh, I mean, Biden's position on the proposition nation comes right out of the radical Republicans, and the Republican Party hasn't changed since then. This is simply a regurgitation of the 1850s, 1870s Republican Party. That's where we are with the establishment. We, we've, we've gone from a, we've funneled into this one narrow line of thinking when it comes to American politics. There's no deviation. And that's where third parties become interesting. Now, one of the things I found fascinating about this, and the argument that 2024 needs to potentially set up to have third parties and a lot of people are talking about this, you know, the, the rhetoric of the Biden speech, the rhetoric of politics today is so divisive, so nasty, that there isn't really any cooperation that can be had. I mean, I, I will say this, at the, at the federal level, um, it appears there can't be any cooperation. So the uh, one side has to have a majority, even if it's a plus one majority, in order to get anything done in the general government. Now, we know that some Republicans will bolt, and this is what Biden was talking about. He wants more Mitt Romney's in the Senate because more Mitt Romney's in the Senate mean more uh, Democrat legislation. So he wants some of these neoconservatives and centrist Republicans, the good old days when the Democrats could put any proposal forward they wanted, and they knew that a bunch of spineless Republicans would vote for it. What he doesn't want is a bunch of people who are saying, no, we're principled. We're not going to vote for that stuff. Uh, they don't want Thomas Massey's or Rand Paul's. They don't want any of those people. Uh, they, they don't want any Republicans that are going to reject the entire Democrat agenda. They just don't want it. Now, is partisan spirit uh, beneficial for the United States? It depends on the partisan spirit. It depends on if it's principled or if it's just we're voting this way because Republicans tell us to or Democrats tell us to. So you have all this nasty, divisive rhetoric, and then you throw in third parties. And you know when that really happened? It was, of course, 1860. You had a minority president in Abraham Lincoln, and Biden's speech is very Lincolnian. This is where the Lincoln problem is really manifest in America. You have the idea, this is the real idea of America, that any political opposition should be crushed militarily, particularly if that political opposition somehow seeks independence or resistance through the popular will to your agenda. Now, we know during COVID, states were more than willing to block unconstitutional federal action. We know the states have all the power. We know the states can do this. But when you demonize and you, and you say that your opponents are essentially subhuman, they're deplorables, whatever they are, and this is what Biden did, of course, he's trying to walk that back, but he can't. It's already out there. The cat's already out there. The cat's already out of the back. You can't walk this back. The Pandora's box has been opened. He, he did it for a whole week. And they're still saying certain things. You go on social media and, oh, well, the Republicans are only mad because they're just, they know it's all true. I mean, this is just the stupid stuff that the left will do. 
when you say these things, there isn't really any walking this back. Right? So when you go to the 1850s and you see the kind of rhetoric that Republicans were using, 1856, Charles Sumner, uh, and you see the crimes against Kansas speech, you read it, you hear it. And of course, in my Radical Republicans class, which is just out now at McClanahan Academy, I go through that speech. You understand why a large percentage of the American public was not on board with the Republican Party. Now, but you also see, of course, in 1860 that you had the Democrat Party split. This is the danger. I think this is what Biden is really attempting to do, or at least the Democrats are attempting to do. They're attempting to split the Republican Party. Who does that benefit? It doesn't benefit the Republicans. It benefits the Democrats because the Democrats ostensibly won't split the party. They won't bolt. Now, I say that, but there are Democrats, particularly on the far left of the Democrat Party, who aren't really happy with Joe Biden. Now, they've gotten some things done here recently, but they're not happy with Biden's slow walking of, a, of their agenda, their far left agenda. So there's always been some talk about a, about a Democrat bolting off and running as a far left candidate. This would be healthy, right? If we had a far left candidate, a far right candidate, and then maybe a couple of centrist candidates of left center and a right center, this would actually be healthy in America, in my opinion. But the problem with all of that, of course, is the single-member district plurality voting and the fact that we have a winner-take-all system for the presidency, whoever wins the state, even if it's you know by a small minority. If you've got four candidates and a pretty divided electorate, that person is going to get the electoral college votes. And this is because it's the way the states have set up the system. The states have done this, and they've done it because of the major parties. They've done it to block out third parties. We know throughout American history, there have been many times the Electoral College was pretty well split. I mean, look, the Whigs did this over and over again. They, they tried to split the vote out so that they could get the election thrown to the House of Representatives. That would actually benefit the right. Because when the election is thrown to the House of Representatives, <clears throat> the vote is by state. And you know what? Republicans control more state delegations. So guess what would happen? Whoever, the concern, whoever they could agree on for a candidate would win the election in the House of Representatives. We have some pretty interesting checks in place if we could just break this monopoly on political parties in America, the Republican and Democrat Party. If we could break that monopoly, there could be some interesting things going on in the United States and some real voices, dissident voices, whether on the left or the right, could be heard. We know the left, the left gets their dissident voices heard because they've got AOC and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. They make a lot of noise, and the media likes them. So they're going to be heard. Anyone on the right, though, is just called a bunch of nasty names. They're called now semi-fascists and everything else. But if you had a real chance for these people, and there are places in America where these candidates would have success in smaller, uh, a smaller setting... You could see it, right? But you've got to get good candidates. It can't be Herschel Walker. <laughs> it can't be Oz. I mean, these candidates are horrible. They're horrible. When the guy that Oz is running against, Fetterman, can't even put together a coherent sentence because he's had a stroke. I mean, the man is, is uh, because of a physical ailment, is really unsuited to be in the United States Senate. It, it, it's not his fault. He had a stroke. It, it, look, but he's not really suited to be in the United States Congress. But you've got a carpetbagger in Pennsylvania. He's from New Jersey running in Pennsylvania. This is the problem with all this stuff. And he thought that, you know, simply star power or a name would, would put him over the top. But 
the articles I've read, the Pennsylvania voters, which are more savvy than that, they don't want somebody coming in. They don't want carpetbaggers coming into their state and uh, calling themselves Pennsylvanians, which, of course, is <laughs> I'm smiling about that if you're watching it on YouTube because it's pretty rich, right? I mean, they complain about Southerners complaining about the exact same thing. Southerners have been dealing with this for years. In fact, the entire Republican Party is a carpetbag party in the South. So it's always been. The Democrats just moved too far to the left for, for uh, Southerners to support them anymore. There isn't really a conservative party in America. But let me get into this piece by David Brooks. I found it interesting. The title is, If an alternative candidate is needed in 2024, these folks will be ready. What happens if the 2024 election is between Donald Trump and someone like Bernie Sanders? What happens if the Republicans nominate someone who is morally unacceptable to millions of Americans, while the Democrats nominate someone who is ideologically unacceptable. Where do the millions of voters in the middle go? Does Trump end up winning as voters refuse to go that far left? So this is, you know, interesting. He's saying, look, what happens if we got Bernie Sanders against Donald Trump? Now this is, he's writing this piece after all these revelations have come out about Mar-a-Lago and the classified documents and everything else. So I think that there are still a lot of people that believe that Trump is still going to get the nomination from the Republican Party. That a lot of that doesn't matter that there may, I mean, we'll see what happens. You know, we know that, that uh, there are a lot of people saying Trump is going to be indicted. We know the judges come out and say Trump is going to be indicted, that there's going to be something going on here. We'll see. We'll see how all this shakes out. But the fact is, you still have people considering Donald Trump as a candidate and that he might get the nomination. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But what happens if, the lab, if Joe Biden retires because the man really is not capable of doing the job anymore? I mean, you see it every time. It's, it's elder abuse, what we're seeing with, with uh, Joe Biden right now. But what happens if someone like Bernie Sanders gets the nomination or Elizabeth Warren? And Americans, Elizabeth Warren is the most goofy, uh, you know, cringeworthy candidate the Democrats could offer. I mean, Sanders is also goofy and cringeworthy, but um, there's just he has a little bit more gravitas than Elizabeth Warren. She's just annoying. Uh, but, uh, you know, Sanders is, is, is funny, at least. And so uh, perhaps more Americans would be on board with Bernie Sanders. But, I mean, look, he's, he's so far to the left. And I think Brooks is asking an important question. What if Americans wouldn't want that kind of left winger? So what do they do? They don't want to vote for Trump because there's all this baggage with Trump. The Democrats have spent now six years destroying Trump, trying to take down Trump. So what happens if they, if they ultimately succeed and Americans don't really want to go for Trump, but they don't want Bernie Sanders either? So he says, the group No Labels has been working quietly over the past 10 months to give Americans a third viable option. The group calls its work an insurance policy. If one of the parties nominates a candidate acceptable to the center of the electorate, then the presidential operation shuts down. But if both parties go to the extremes, then there will be a unity ticket appealing to both Democrats and Republicans to combat this period of polarized dysfunction. Now think about what just he said there. This group wants to run a centrist candidate, right? So if Trump, or let's say Ron DeSantis, too extreme for a lot of Americans, or Bernie Sanders, too extreme. So we're going to run Abraham Liz Cheney. And this is what they're going to do. Now, we've seen this kind of stuff before, right? The Ross Perot position. You know, the, uh, which was more populist than, say, the Republicans. You know, George H.W. Bush was much more to the center than Ross Perot. Um, or, you know, I mean, look, Bill Clinton was a centrist candidate as well. So Ross Perot was kind of representing the fringes, though 
his ideas on trade, I mean, appealed to this. It's been proven now. He didn't pull away votes from just Bush. He also pulled them away from Clinton. There was a certain amount of, of voters of both parties that liked this very populist message. This is the Howard Dean uh, quote where he wants to get that Democrat with a Confederate flag and gun rack in his pickup truck. He wants that guy. And you're never going to hear a Democrat say that again. You know, it's the Jim Webb kind of Democrat, that old Southern Democrat who's certainly fine with centralized government if it does things to help blue-collar workers. The piece I read yesterday, or I went through yesterday, with Max Boot, talks about how the Democrats don't need those people anymore. They're a, they're a dying breed. Now, I'm not so certain about that. There's a lot of those people out there, and if they're somebody that really appeals to them, they're going to go vote. And that was one of the appeals, I think, for Trump. He appealed to them. The No Labels operation is a $70 million effort, of which $46 million has already been raised or pledged. It has four main prongs. The first is to gain ballot access for, for a prospective third candidate in all 50 states, excuse me, and the District of Columbia. The organization is working with lawyers, political strategists, and petition firms to amass signatures and establish a no-label slot on the 2024 ballot. The group already has over 100,000 signatures in Ohio, for example, and 47,000 signatures in Arizona. So essentially, this is going to be, you know, low labels is, is, is funny because this is nonpartisan. It's a nonpartisan presidential candidate. I mean, look, the idea is someone like a Joe Biden or a Mitt Romney, right? I mean, we, we are right in the middle. Mitt Romney, I voted for impeachment. Mitt Romney, I stand up and applaud Democrats, but I also want to support Republican proposals. Mitt Romney, as a governor of Massachusetts, was pretty far to the left. This is why they pointed out, well, wait a second here, you had Romney care. Now, there's a whole difference between a state doing socialized medicine and the United States doing socialized medicine. It's it's a whole constitutional question there. But regardless, Romney would be one of these kind of candidates that would be a centrist candidate. What they're saying is if, if DeSantis and Bernie Sanders, well, then we got to get somebody in the middle and we're going to run them. And we're going to see what we can do and try to get plurality votes and win the election with a minority candidate again. The second effort is to create a database on those Americans who would support a unity ticket. The group's research suggests that there are 64.5 million voters who would support such an effort, including roughly a third of the people who supported Donald Trump in 2020 and 20% of the Democrats who supported Joe Biden in that year, as well as a slew of independents. Now, this is interesting, as I said. Ross Perot not only pulled people away from George H.W. Bush, but also some Democrats, too. So these are people that would say Joe Biden's too far left or Donald Trump is too far right. They don't like, uh, they don't like these extreme positions. They do believe the Democrats are extreme. They do believe there are Republicans that are extreme. And so you're looking at the, perhaps a third party. Again, I go back to 1860. You had the Northern Democrats support Stephen Douglas. You had the Southern Democrats support John Breckinridge. And of course, to someone like Brooks or people looking back now, that would have been an extreme candidate. Abraham Lincoln was actually considered an extreme candidate. The mainstream candidates were John Bell and Stephen Douglas. Stephen Douglas got a lot more votes than John Breckinridge, but Breckinridge carried more states. 
John Bell, the Constitutional Union candidate, was this kind of fusion candidate, right? Old Whigs, some Northern Democrats who weren't happy with uh, the Democrat Party, or uh, particularly not the Republican Party, but the Republican Party was the extreme party. And the extreme party won with less than 40% of the popular vote, but it carried enough states. The Republicans and the Southern Democrats were seen as the extremes. The other two parties were in the middle. So uh, you, you, you go back and you look, there's times when we've talked about this. So I said eight, uh, 2024, in the eight, we're in the 1850s right now. Is 2024 going to be the 1860 election? I don't know. This has been brought up. Was, was 2020 the 1860 election? No. Was 2016 the 1860 election? No. Were those really just a precursor to what will turn out to be the 1860 election, which could be 2024? I can guarantee, I'll say this now, if this happens, the Democrats win the election. Not because uh, they are the better party or the better, better agenda, but Democrats are going to vote more solidly in line with the Democrats because they're afraid of losing power. This is exactly what happened with the Republicans. So this particular candidate, a fusion candidate, might pull uh, votes away from Trump and uh, a Democrat, but they're going to pull more votes away from the Republicans. And I just think the Democrats, the unity there, because of the handouts and everything else, people will vote more Democrat. But regardless, you should always vote your conscience anyways, no matter what happens. If the person you're voting for stinks, don't vote for him. Because at the end of the day, I mean, as I've said, this is the think locally, act locally issue. Whatever happens in Washington, D.C., in so many ways is irrelevant. We've got to get you know, Ron DeSantis-type candidates in every state. That's what we have to do. We have to start focusing on your school boards and your city councils and your state legislatures and start ignoring what happens in Washington, D.C. I talk about it because it's something that's interesting. I'm sorry, this is in the New York Times, not the Washington Post. I, I was thinking of the piece yesterday. Uh, it's interesting. But the fact is, we should be thinking about local candidates, think locally, act locally. But the group has identified 23 states where they believe a unity ticket could win a plurality to vote, including Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina, Texas, Minnesota, and Colorado. If the ticket gained a plurality in those 23 states, that would give its standard bearer 279 electoral votes and the presidency. So they're going after 23 states some of these states are considered to be purple, like North Carolina. Even Texas, they're saying, is a purple state. I, I mean, we'll see what, what it shakes out. Virginia is always being considered a purple state. Pennsylvania, perhaps. But this fusion candidate depends on what it is. Now, they go through the vote. They go through what this fusion candidate would offer in terms of policy. In the next paragraph, Brooks says this. The third effort is to find a policy agenda that appeals to unity voters. The group has come up with a series of both and positions on major issues. Comprehensive immigration reform with stronger borders and a path to citizenship for DACA immigrants. Now, I think they're, they're right about this. I think most Americans will be on board with the people that are already here being, being naturalized citizens. But they do want Americans are on board with a stronger border. It used to be the position of the Democrats to support a stronger border because it hurt unions. They wanted... They wanted unionized workers. And what's amazing about unions right now, I saw a poll the other day. Union support has gone up substantially in America. People love unions for some reason now. But, I mean, this is, this is a major shift in America. People want more unions. But this was always a longstanding Democrat position. 
No illegal immigration. Slow immigration in the United States. Slow it down. The Democrats for years wanted to block immigration into the United States. It was part of the blue-collar agenda. Heck, even uh, Cesar Chavez was against illegal immigration because he thought it hurt farm workers. He was trying to organize farm workers in California, and it hurt farm workers. So uh, for years, the Democrats were against this kind of stuff. So there's, pro- there's, a, there's a good percentage of Democrats, I'm sure, who would support this, particularly in a place like Pennsylvania. American energy self-sufficiency while transitioning to cleaner sources, whatever that means. But again, drill for oil. This is kind of the Joe Manchin position. Let's use coal. Let's use oil. Let's use these things while we start thinking about other alternatives, you know, windmills and solar power. And the, Of course, none of that stuff is going to work long term. Um, what we do need, of course, are nuclear power plants. That would be nice. Uh, those things would work. But, I mean, hey, let's looking at all kinds of alternative sources for your energy. No guns for anyone under 21 and universal background checks. So this one would be hard sell for a lot of Republicans. No guns for anyone under 21 and universal background checks. Now, that's illegal federal. That's, I mean, look, the, the Supreme Court, as soon as something like Joe Biden's run around saying he's going to ban assault weapons, as soon as it happens, there's going to be an injunction because somebody will immediately file a lawsuit a federal ju- in a place where a federal judge will block it and the Supreme Court will declare it unconstitutional. So Biden can say all he wants. But that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, this is just now, it's, it's not going to work that way. Now, maybe in 20 years, if the Democrats continue in office and you have retirements or deaths on the Supreme Court and the court shifts in a different direction, maybe then again, or if the Democrats really do follow through on their agenda and try to pack the court or do other things, maybe you see something happen. But right now, that would be a, no, a non-starter for a lot of Republicans. Moderate abortion policies with abortion legal until about 15 weeks. Again, you're coming at this from the federal government. It's illegal. So the last two things would be illegal. Right, these, this would be illegal. So that's, that's important to point out. Because the federal government can't do that. The, the Dobbs decision said, look, the federal government has no power here. This is a state issue. So... I mean, are these people going to run at the state level? Or are they going to, I think that last position might be more palatable on the state level. I think a lot of people would be more, Americans are probably a majority in that position. What they don't want is the radical, the extreme position of, you know, what, what uh, some Democrats have advocated, you know, uh, you know uh, abortions up till, uh, you know, birth practically. So, I mean, this is what people aren't going to go after. The fourth effort is to create an infrastructure to nominate and support a potential candidate. There's already a network of state co-chairs and local volunteers. Many of them are regular Americans, while other are notables like Mike Rawlings, a Democrat and the former mayor of Dallas, the civil rights leader Benjamin Chavez, and Dennis Blair, the former director of national intelligence. Well, <laughs> hmm. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, this is this is what they're doing here. They're kind of looking at the at the. Uh, People, this is you go back to some of these other third-party movements where you had this this uh, left-right coalition develop. You saw this even in the early 20th century at times. Uh, there were some very interesting bedfellows, so to speak, in some of these fusion attempts. I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I don't think the Democrats are willing to really buck the Democrat Party. Republicans would go with it. I think that if Liz Cheney decides to run, there will be certain Republicans who will, who will campaign for Liz Cheney. She's not going to get the Republican nomination, but I think there. I think Liz Cheney 
uh, is uh, so much, so full of herself that she would run as a third party candidate. I can see that happening. The group has not figured out how the nominating process would work, though they want to use technology to create a transparent process that would generate public interest. There would be a nominating convention in Texas shortly after it becomes clear who will be the Democratic and Republican nominees. The people who are volunteering for this emphasize that they are not leaving their parties. There's, this is not an effort to create a third party like Andrew Yang's effort. This is a one-off move to create a third option if the two major parties abandon the middle in 2024. Again, you can look at this like 1860. The Constitutional Union Party was dead after one election. The Northern Democratic Party was dead after one election. Same thing. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's what they're doing. They're trying to create a candidate for an election. That's why I said this is going to be very much, if this happens, like 1860. I hope it doesn't turn out like 1860, but that's what you would see. The big question is, is this a good idea? To think this through, I've imagined a 2024 campaign in which the Republicans nominate Trump, Biden retires, and the Democrats nominate some progressive, and the No Labels group nominates retired Admiral William McRaven and the former Pepsi CEO Indra Nooyi. I'm just grabbing these latter two names off the top of my head as these sort of people who might be ideal for the No Labels ticket. The first danger is that the No Labels candidate would draw more support away from the Democrats and end up re-electing Trump. That's the first danger? <laughs> this is a danger to David, to David Brooks. That's the first danger. This strikes me as a real possibility, though the No Labels activist Johnny Hopkins from Colorado tells me, quote, I find it easier to find Republicans who want to pull away from Trump than it is to find Democrats who want to pull away from Biden. Well, I agree 100%. So Brooks is already imagining an apocalyptic scenario where Trump wins. But I think this guy from Hopkins from Colorado is 100% correct. Uh, there would be more Republicans willing to go with something like this. This is where I said a real possibility is Liz Cheney in 2024. I think that could happen. Then for Democrats to bolt the party. They want power. Democrats are all about power because that's what the re radical Republicans were all about. It's the same kind of movement. It's left-wing progressive. They want power. They want to remake America in their own image and in their own ideology. And if they can, they don't care how they get it. They just want it. And if Joe Biden's a stooge to go there, they're going to have Joe Biden there. The second danger is that the no-labels candidates fail to generate any excitement at all. I think that's a real possibility. Millions of Americans claim to dislike the two major parties, but come election time, they hold their noses and support one in order to defeat the party they hate more. Uh, I mean, Americans have been duped into the two-party system. It's become ingrained. we got Republicans and Democrats, and they don't know what to do about it. And they are, they've been told that if you vote third party, you're just throwing away your vote. So this is where the issue is. The, la the, the last competitive third presidential option was Ross Perot in 1992. He ran as a clear populist outsider, not on the moderate unity theme. That's the heart of the no-labels effort. On the other hand, the gap between the two parties is much vaster today than when Perot ran against Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush. I don't know about that. I mean, Trump's rhetoric is certainly uh, creating an image that there's a vast difference in the two parties. But I don't think there really is a vast difference in the two parties. They both believe in extensive federal power, and they both believe in essentially the same agenda, just varying degrees of it. You're not going to see someone like a Thomas Massey or a Rand Paul come into the presidency and get their way. We know that the, the, the bureaucracy won't let that happen. So the fact is, uh, I don't think there still is a whole lot of difference. 
I mean, this is going back to the 1970s, late 60s, 70s, where George Wallace said there's not a dime's worth of difference. I mean, look, there isn't really. There still isn't. And this unity candidate would simply be a, a, a moderate left candidate is what you're going to look at. It'd be a Joe Biden. So what, what Brooks is worried about is Bernie Sanders getting the nomination, a lefty lefty, and we don't have a moderate, a moderate leftist. What they want is a moderate leftist. And they think a moderate leftist wins because Republicans would vote for him. In other words, you get Bill Kristol. <laughs> so that's what you get. Plus, the country is much hungrier for change. Only 13% of American voters say the country is on the right track. He said there's much more running room up the middle. This is one of those efforts that everybody looks at with skepticism at first, but if ever the country was right for something completely different, it's now. It's 1860. So, there you go. This is what I find fascinating about this, but of course, we'll see how this all works out. All right. Got a big show tomorrow. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Episode 700 is coming tomorrow, and I've got a great topic for it. It's a nice, uh, nice way to talk about you know 700 episodes. So I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McLean Show. See you then.